Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome to Equipping You podcast, season one, episode one. That's right. You're here from the very beginning, and we thank you for listening. We're coming to you today from uh, the Alliance National Office in Colorado Springs, Colorado, 6,677 feet of elevation. And so the air is a little thin here. If we say anything crazy on these podcasts, it's because we're not getting enough oxygen to our brains. (laughs) I'm Terry, and I'm the church ministries leader for the Alliance. And I'm Alan. I'm the church planning leader for the Alliance in Eastern Pennsylvania. And our trusty numero uno producer is here today as well, A.J. Gutierrez. Glad to have you here, A.J. Glad to be here. Thanks for providing all that great technical assistance. So... uh, We're launching out on this podcast to try to help equip alliance leaders and pastors, but also just any church leaders and pastors to do what they do better, because we all need to learn and grow, right, Alan? Absolutely, we do. We're emphasizing from the get-go here two things that we're trying to uh, emphasize uh, from uh, church ministries, which is church planting and church advance. In other words, we want to plant as many new churches as we possibly can. We want our churches to be multiplying churches. And uh, we want our existing churches to be as healthy as possible. In fact, if we believe if they are as healthy as possible and they're advancing the kingdom, that they're going to uh, be more apt to multiply. So today we'll be talking to, to uh, Daniel M. on the subject of church multiplication or church planning. Alan will introduce him in just a minute. And we'll be talking uh, on the next episode to uh, Gary McIntosh, who's an expert in the area of uh, church health Uh, church leadership, uh, turnaround churches. So we're looking forward to these first two episodes of the Equipping You podcast. So uh, tell us a little bit about Daniel M., if you would. uh, Yeah, I'm happy to, Terry. He's a friend of mine, very thankful for him. He's a director of church multiplication at newchurches.com at Lifeway Christian Resources. Uh, He's also uh, a teaching pastor, actually, at a fellowship fellowship in Nashville. And he is the co-host of uh, New Churches Q&A podcast, and also the Five Leadership Questions podcast, which I highly recommend for all church leaders. It's a great one. And little-known tidbit, even though he is currently working with Lifeway in the Southern Baptist group, uh, he was ordained in the Alliance while working on staff at Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Wow, one of our very own guys. Absolutely. So sit back, relax, get some coffee, and uh, here we go. Well, welcome, Daniel M. We're really glad to have you today all the way from Nashville. It's great to be with you guys. It's going to be super to have you on here. Uh, You've been a lot of encouragement to church planners and multi-site leaders. And uh, we'd like to know if you just tell us a little bit about your role right now at Lifeway Resources. Yeah, so I've been at Lifeway for about four years now. Uh, Moved down from Canada down to Nashville to just help Lifeway figure out what they were going to do in regards to church planting, multiplication, multi-site. So my background is in both worlds, uh, both multi-site and church planting. And and it was essentially a conversation between Ed Stetzer, Eric Geiger, and Todd Atkins. And they were like, hey, 
uh, LifeWay's mission and, and, you know, really point of existence is to resource the church, is to serve the church and our mission of making disciples. So what would it look like if we were to begin intentionally doing that around church planting? Uh, and in addition, I mean, LifeWay Research has had the assessment, uh, the Twitter candidacy assessment for a while, but this is more in the sense of how do we broadly do that? So that's what I'm in charge of. Sounds great. Love what you do. You're a real blessing, man. So uh, we're Alliance, and you were ordained in the Alliance in Canada, we understand. So how did you, yes, get, how did you get from <laughs> where you were to where you are? How did you get from Canada to Nashville? How did you get from the Alliance to a Southern Baptist organization? Tell us a little bit of that story. Yeah, so a little bit before that, I grew up Presbyterian. Wow. Uh, just, so like, just, just like A.B. Like Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I know and why I know you're first on our podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so grew up Presbyterian, but uh, got ordained. Um, there were, I mean, infant baptism, there are a lot of different things that I didn't theologically agree with. So the CMA is really where I found my theological home. Uh, got ordained with them, was serving up in Canada, up at Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton. And I didn't really have plans on leaving. I really loved the ministry there and what we were able to do. Uh, in fact, Beulah, I mean, it's they're about to celebrate their 100th year in a few years. And they've planted, I think, more than 50 churches in northern Alberta. So Fantastic. a lot of the wow. churches, what churches look like in northern Alberta, uh, really originates from that Church. So I loved the history. I loved serving there. But as I was serving, if you can think about it, I mean, Beulah is, it was about three to 4,000 people, very, very, very attractional. Willow Saddleback ish was the style of the church, multi services, multi site. And when I joined staff, my hidden agenda was to help the church move from being attractional to being missional. Because you can think, a lot of times we think missional church or missional activity as a church, you think, okay, you got to be small to be incarnational. You got to be small to be missional. But but when you think about the impact that this church has and has have had and, and the energy and momentum that can be behind a church of three or 4,000 people, it's significant. So it was, how can we do that? How can we turn the tide? And we started these things called mid-sized communities 20 to 50 person sized spaces. Really, they're, they were like church planting launch teams is essentially what they were. And there were this new form of community that we had done. I mean, they grew from like zero to 800 people in, the, in two years, mostly being people who had not been a part of any form of community beforehand. I mean, the church was growing 30% year over year, but group life was at zero percent wow. growth wow. for the last 10 years. So this was a way for us to address that. Uh, unintentionally, it actually became a really good multiplication strategy. Lifeway got wind of it. They asked if I could come down and teach on it. And then one thing led to another. We moved down uh, later on that year. Wow. I, I appreciate that background. I heard that before in that detail. Uh, so when we talk about multiplication, and I appreciate you trying to bring uh, that missional connection there at Beulah Alliance. But in the world of multiplication, uh, a lot of times we're talking about five levels of churches right now. Uh, can you unpack mm -hmm. that for us? Yeah, so, so it was interesting. Exponential came out with these five levels of multiplication. And while they were identifying and, and developing this language, I, was, I, I helped them do that. I was a part of that team. Uh, us at, at Lifeway, we had done this state of church planting research project. Yeah. So it was at the same time where they were trying to figure out, okay, what language 
can the church adopt so that we can move toward multiplication? And then for us at Lifeway, it was, okay, this is what the state of church planning looks like in the U.S. and in Canada and in Australia. Let's look at all the churches that multiplied in their first five years of existence, right, among all those we surveyed. What are what characteristics do those churches share, right? And this is not like mega church or church or denomination or they look. You have all these resources. Your buildings are paid off. You're all good to go. Now these are brand new churches in their first five years of existence, yeah. and they multiplied. Great. What did they do? Yeah. And I know we're going to be getting into that. So we were developing that, and Exponential was developing this, and, and I love uh, the partnership that we've had. Uh, and, and these are the five levels that, that, that were developed. The first level is this idea of subtraction, right? So this idea of, hey, you are a church that is struggling to survive. You have, uh, your finances are in tension. Your congregants are leaving. Instead of being having an, an abundance mindset, you have a scarcity mindset. There's no plan for developing leaders. I mean, multiplication is not one's mind. It's just survival, right? That's that idea of level one subtracting. After that, you then move to level two, which is plateauing. So you, you've, you've gotten out of the subtraction, survival, are we going to live or are we going to die phase? And now you're living in this sense where, yeah, you are growing in some areas, but you're still struggling in a lot. You're still constrained by your scarcity thinking. Maybe you're beginning to hope and, and, and hope for and, and look toward multiplication, but it's really more of a hope than a reality. And then you get to addition. And the majority of churches in the U.S. Um, are, are in those first three levels, subtraction, plateauing, or addition. And addition, it's interesting. You could actually, for a lot of churches, addition level three looks like the climax. It looks like there are actually three levels and not five in, in that, hey, who is celebrated? If your church is growing and adding people, and not subtracting, I mean, that is successful, isn't it? I mean, if you have a lot of resources as a church and your weekend service is growing and, and it, it is well-resourced and, and you have a lot of programs and you have a, a lot of events and you have a lot of staff, paid staff that are leading the church, I mean, that looks like success to the Western church. Uh, but here's the key differentiator between this and the level four and five. Multiplication is not really happening. Everything is addition, right? Everything is addition. You're adding sites, you're adding services, you're adding manpower, you're adding staff, but nothing is multiple. No, it's not exponential in its growth, right? So there's a big difference between that and let's say church multiplication movements or church planting movements globally. You then get to level four, uh, which is reproducing. So now you're living in this tension between releasing and sending, uh, releasing, sending with accumulating and growing, right? You want to send out, you want to release, but you also want to accumulate and grow because that's been the MO of up until now. So as you're trying to multiply and reproduce, it's more activity-based than values-based. So in other words, it's more deliberate and planned than being spontaneous, and then you get to what level five is and what we all love about the house church movement of the underground church movement in China and in India and many other parts of the world that we're trying to do in the States and in Canada and in the West, but we haven't yet cracked the nut on that. And that's this idea of rapid multiplication, right? Where, where you are more concerned about multiplication than attendance. 
you are intentional with your finances, your vision, and your strategy toward planting. And it actually has gotten to the point where multiplication is happening spontaneously. And it's not limited to paid staff, right? It's not, it's, it's not that paid staff, you, you need paid staff. And even if you look at David Garrison's church planning movement material, we know that educate, formal education and, and, and finances and, and that paid, I mean, that's a barrier to that. So that's the whole idea around multiplication. Uh, and those are, yeah, those are the five levels. Great, Daniel, very helpful. And uh, so you talked, you indicated uh, early on in your comments there that some research has been done about churches that are multiplying, talk particularly about the ones that multiply in their first five years. Can you give us some of the characteristics and practices of churches that uh, multiply? Yeah, so it, it was fascinating because out, out of all the churches that we had surveyed that were planted in the last, I don't know, it was like six, seven, eight years, about 22% of them planted a daughter church and multiplied in their first five years of existence. So what Ed Setzer and I basically did was we looked at those 22% of churches and we identified six characteristics that these churches had. The first one was that they had a kingdom vision, right? That's first and foremost. So in other words, they knew and they understood that multiplication doesn't start with some book that you read or activity that you try to do or, or trying to you know add in your church. No, it starts with a vision for the kingdom. Right. And embracing a kingdom vision is really, it's about being a multiplying church, not a macho church or a monument church. And mm -hmm. that's a really yeah, good distinction good because when you think about multiplication, there's these monument churches that are like, hey, just come to us. We're, you know, we're going to pack out our services. We're going to start new services. The only reason they're doing adding services and sites, you know, site locations across the, the, the city is because, People are driving into their regional church. It's all about come and see, right? And yeah, that is good. They are growing, but at the expense of the local churches in those areas, right? I don't necessarily know if that's a kingdom win. So uh, I'm not anti-multi-site. I'm just saying when it's all about sheep swapping and sheep stealing and, and the church is not evangelistically uh, winning the lost, and then, then it's it's not necessarily a net positive gain for the kingdom. So there are those monument churches. There are also those macho churches, right? I mean, you, you guys probably can think of a few that are like, yeah, yeah, totally, we'll multiply, but not with you guys as the denomination, right? Not, I mean, you guys are holding us back. We'll do it on our own. And macho churches are, that is not a kingdom vision, right? It's not a kingdom vision, and that's not what leads to multiplication, so that's that first one. You guys want me just to keep going? Yeah, yeah sure. Feel yeah, free, these are practices we want our people to hear. Number two is preparing the planter. And this was a really cool point that came out in the research where, where we actually discovered that churches who were supported well and prepared well actually multiplied at a much higher rate and, and a much uh, higher frequency than those who weren't planned, uh, those who weren't prepared. And that makes sense, right? Uh, but what that practically means is that these church planters, these potential church planters, they attended conferences on planting, right? These church planters, they, they were prepared not only in terms of attending conferences, but they received funding from their denomination, but also from a sponsored church. And that led to a higher likelihood for them to multiply. They had prayer partners. They did demographic research. They were assessed. They had a plan for spiritual formation. So a lot of these 
characteristics are, I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense that, you know, it it sounds like a good thing to do if you're going to prepare and plant a church, but these actually had a positive effect, not only toward planting, but toward multiplying, right? That's the key differentiator there. The next one is that they love the lost, right? Mm -hmm. And and we mentioned this a little bit earlier. It's so easy to plant a church where it's literally just Let's just bring all the Christians from other churches, and now they're now now they're in my church. Look at all of these dying churches. I'm going to be like a vulture and <laughs> take all of them and just start this new church. And you know that mindset is what why a lot of churches are like. Don't we have enough churches? Right? Haven't you ever heard of that? It's like yeah, we have absolutely. enough churches. Can't we just take care of the ones that we we have that that are subtracting? And and why are we worrying about new ones? Well, well, the biggest reason is even if you looked at if you looked at all the lost people in your community or all the people who lived in your county or in your city or in your area and you put all of them in the existing number of churches regardless of whether it's your denomination or not you would not have enough room yeah yeah that's the message right. i have to constantly communicate because so many people are saying oh wait don't we have enough i totally that's the one of the number one things i hear when well, i talk about right. church planning and it's huge because church plants are evangelistically more effective than existing churches. Well, um, one of the things that I often do when I when I talk about my book, No Silver Bullets, and I help church leaders in discipleship, I ask this question, right? And I ask them, try to name the three most mature people in your church, right? Uh, and then they they think through, okay, who are those most mature people? And then I'm like, okay, the next question I ask is, how many of them did you win to Christ? Number two, how many of them did you disciple? Number three, how many of them were discipled through the ministry of your church? For most people that I found, uh, they can't answer yes to at least two. Maybe they can answer yes to one, but they can't answer yes to at least two or if not all three. Wow. And if that's the case, how do we know that what we're doing works? That's right. Wow. Right? We don't know that. No. (laughs) Right? So, so, So if we don't know that what we're doing actually works then you look at all of the Christians in your congregation and you're like, okay, let's ask a follow-up question, right? Um, if, if these people who you say are the most mature people in your congregation, let me ask you a follow-up question on those people. How many of those people brought or, or evangelized? How regularly are they evangelizing? And how many non-Christians have they brought to the church? Yeah, and most of the case, it'll be very little compared to the brand new Christian. How many Christian? How many non-Christians are they bringing to church? A lot more. Yeah, thanks for the humble pie you're serving us here. We appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you think about it. Church plants, church plants are more effective at evangelism, but church plants that multiplied in their first five years, they normalized evangelism. Wow. This wasn't... This wasn't like, uh, just do the seminar, you know, here's a Saturday morning seminar on evangelism. No, it, they, they normalized evangelism. And I'm not talking about social activism here. I'm talking about evangelism and proclaiming the, you know, the gospel in word and in deed. Yeah. Mm. So what does it look like for your church to normalize evangelism where the goal is not maturity, but the goal is to be a missionary. Cause when you, when you, when your goal is to be on mission with God, and to see all of life as being on mission where, hey, we're all going to get our paychecks differently and in different ways from different people, but we all have the same job. Yeah. Right? What we do to earn our paychecks, are, that's secondary. 
all of us, our first and foremost job is to go and make disciples. Yeah. Good. So how do we help our congregations do that well? Great stuff. Yeah. So that's number three. The next one we talked about it a little bit, but it's the idea of commitment to discipleship. Right. So we won't, won't spend much time on that because I went into that with a few questions yeah, earlier. Sure. But the churches that multiplied not only normalized evangelism, but they committed to discipleship in developing a discipleship pathway. Uh, the next one is they developed leaders. So um, one of the things that I that I unpack in No Silver Bullets is this tension between your discipleship pathway and your leadership pipeline. So it's this idea where if you have a vision as a church, here's what you as a church need to do and what God is calling us to, this kingdom vision. How do we get there, right? What, what do you do as a church to get to that vision? What, you know, what's the stuff of church that you have, you know, worship service groups, all the, you know, everything, all the ministries of the church. So that is what we call strategy, right? That's the what that's going to get us to the where of the vision. Well, every, a lot of times in churches, we overcomplicate the quote unquote strategy. And sometimes, you know, church leaders don't like calling ministry that they do strategy, but it's, it's the stuff that you do. But sometimes we try to overcomplicate it, but but here is actually a really simple way to understand everything that you do as a church. So men's ministry, student ministry, kids ministry, Sunday worship groups, Sunday school, everything that you do, evangelism. Uh, everything that you do is either uh, going to fit under the umbrella of your discipleship pathway, or it's going to fit under your umbrella of leadership pipeline. So you're either maturing people toward Christ or you're equipping them for the work of ministry, right? Yeah. So there's that discipleship and there's that leadership side of things. Biblically speaking, it's Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, yeah. right? Equipping the saints for the work of ministry. But here's what it looks like really practically. Let's say on a Sunday morning, you don't have enough kids volunteers. You don't have enough nursery workers. So you bring someone in and, and you try to recruit them and, and ask them. You're trying to put a fire out, really, but, but you're, you're bringing them in and you're like, can you serve for us? Churches that multiplied in their first five years didn't see that one nursery worker as someone who's been placed, but actually as someone who has the potential to possibly lead the entire kids ministry, right? It's this mindset toward development. So it is really a mindset, so that's, yeah. Completely. And then the last practice of churches that multiply is really uh, they, they created a clear strategy to multiply. So they were ruthless about communicating their vision to multiply on a monthly basis. Uh, they partnered with other organizations, their denomination, other churches to plant, and they invested holistically into other church plants. So those are the six practices of churches that multiply. Yeah. Okay. So that's super stuff, man. We really appreciate that because I don't, and that's something that our, our pastors and leaders are going to have to think through really diligently. It takes some time to work that out. And you've mentioned your book. I know there's some great practical tips in there to help them do that. Uh, if we're talking directly to a church planter, what kind of advice would you give them to to get going in that direction? Yeah. So, I mean, here's here's the thing that I that I love saying. We're not we're 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 all called to be about church planting, and this is to everyone, whether you're a church planter or not. Every single church leader, pastor, individual, we are all called to be about church planting, to champion it, to encourage it. I mean, our church, the churches that we are in right now would not exist if someone had not planted them. It's true. Right. So we are all called to be about church planting, but not everyone is called to be the church planter. Yeah. That's a really great distinction. So some, God may be calling you to be a student minister or a launch team member or a worship pastor or a senior pastor of an established church. Regardless of how God is calling you, we all have to be about church planting. But 
I mean, we're not all called to be the church planter. And I think by distinguishing that, that's going to help. That's going to help a ton. Yeah. So, uh, Daniel, wondering if you can just give us quickly two or three key issues that are going to impact the failure or success of, uh, of, of a church plant. Uh, honestly, I mean, self-sustainability is huge. The, the whole idea of financial self-sufficiency, yeah. that's one of those things that, that, that can sink a church because if your model is completely built around full-time paid staff and you don't have more than 50 people and you've only been at 50 people for three years, that's, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that the only solution is to shut your church down or to merge with another, but you also have to think, hey, should I be taking a full-time salary if we only have full 50 people and we are a brand new church plant and we don't have a building and we are not growing, right? So should, should they? I mean, there's a lot of, Alan and I have talked a lot about bivocational planting and different methods for funding. So that's one of those things that we really need to consider. There are, there, there are multiple ways to plant a church and a lot of times we try to go the big launch large. We got to be successful. We got to uh, we got to be successful in all the metrics, you know, on the human side of things. But what if God is actually calling you to take a longer route? Uh, maybe he doesn't want you to plant so soon. Or if he does, if he is calling you to plant, maybe your timeline is different than his. And maybe the reason your timeline is so fast and growing so fast is because you want the church to fund you full time when in fact, maybe uh, you should get a job somewhere else. You should uh, find a gig. You should freelance uh, what, you know, in ways that you can to be a part of the community and, and to grow your church a little bit slower rather than being so rapid. Helpful advice. Appreciate it. Yeah. So, Hey, you uh, already alluded to uh, five, uh, excuse me, no silver bullets, the five small shifts. So uh, tell us about where they can find that and any other resources you have that can be helpful to our people thinking. Completely. So everything that I do, you can find on my website, danielm.com. That's, uh, you'll find links to the ministry that I lead at Lifeway, newchurches.com. You'll find links to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, the other podcasts that I'm on. But but specifically, um, yeah, I, I had mentioned No Silver Bullets, but uh, the thing that I'm super excited about recently is a podcast that I've been doing with my wife. Huh. So uh, this, is the, this is the third one. So I'm on the New Churches Q&A podcast. Uh, I co-host the five leadership questions one. But this, uh, this next one is, is called In Between. So my last name, I am In Between Podcasts. It's fun being able to do that with my wife because we're ministering together. And, and really quick story, I just got a message from one of our listeners of the In Between Podcast who shared an episode with their non-Christian friends. It was an episode on pornography. Shared it with their non-Christian friends. Their non-Christian friends started coming to them with ch- to church, never been to church before, and just this last week, they accepted Christ. Hey, so. praise the Lord. <laughs> Wonderful. It's amazing. It is amazing. We're really thankful for that. And I appreciate everything that you have done for me, uh, what I have seen you do for other church planters, church multipliers, uh, the thinking, and the generosity of Lifeway really towards the other parts of uh, God's family has been encouraging to me as well. So thank you so much for joining us today, Daniel. Yeah, Daniel, really appreciate it's been a pleasure to be on. Really appreciate the way you think and the things that you're doing, the way that you're uh, 
uh, impacting uh, a whole bunch of churches across uh, the U.S. and in other places as well. So thanks for taking the time to join us today, and we're uh, trusting that the Lord's going to continue to prosper your ministry. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this uh, episode one of season one of Equipping You podcast. Alan, thanks for introducing us to Daniel M. My pleasure, sure. He gave us some uh, great stuff, and I hope that'll uh, kind of uh, slosh over and uh, really impact some of our Alliance churches and even evangelical churches across the U.S. Uh, We need more and more churches being started that are passionate about reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's right. Hope uh, that you uh, listeners will uh, take some time to ponder what you've heard and uh, how it has some practical applications to you and your ministry in your church. And if you really enjoy what you heard, and we trust that you did, that you can subscribe to that on whatever you listen to podcasts on. And please like us and share us on social media. Tell your friends about it. Uh, That really helps us. You can give us a review as well on iTunes. If you listen through that, that's fantastic. So thanks a lot. Thanks for joining us. Keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.